0: That is fantastic. I'm, I'm so thankful for, the, for just the growth of the music and, and how it continues. Uh, Brother Michael did such a good job accompanying our choir uh, this morning, and the choir just continues to make strides, and, and God continues to bring people to contribute in those things. Miss um, uh, Bev and Miss Tina are tearing it up over here no look that 's phenomenal, and that 's n- not just because of the bright colors that they were wearing that like, that was stinking phenomenal by the way miss where 's miss Danielle Brother Nate, tell Miss Danielle that I need a picture of Miss Bev and Brother Fiavi before they go home <laughs> and i don 't know if they coordinated on purpose, but <laughs> they did, so <laughs> hallelujah for that man just doing a great job over there on sunday night, and i 'm I'm not going to overwhelm anybody, but that would sound good on Sunday morning. We're not doing it yet. I'm just telling you. It's, there's dreams and there's plans and there's desires that God would give us these things. And you got to take small steps. But, man, it's really cool getting to see some of this just continue to develop. And, and just that, man, so much labor that, that went into it long before. Long before, and, and God's just adding to it. And I'm, I'm so, man, so very thankful for that quartet was such a blessing, guys. Thank you for, thank you for ministering to us in that way. Uh, if you, you leave here and you, you go just a little bit over and go north on Middleton, you're eventually going to come to Linden, and, um, and then you'll make your way around the corner and get to our house. One of my favorite scenes in the valley is is either when you're heading from here north on Middleton or from our house and you're going south on Middleton and and you kind of look to the west and depending on which direction you're going you look northwest or southwest and and there's this I don't remember what the location is but over in that direction there is this ginormous American flag just a, a huge American flag and on these breezy windy days it's popping in the wind And driving south on Middleton today to come to church this morning, you have the backdrop of the Owyhe's and all the summer snow that we've had, which, by the way, I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. And I'm not tired of it. And and you have that backdrop, and then you just have this huge American flag just popping. And I I love seeing it when I'm going north. I love seeing it when I'm going south. It's just a beautiful scene. Old glory just popping right there and the mountains right there. And all sorts of emotions can fill my heart when I, when I see that scene, when I see that picture. And it's almost like a, a Norman Rockwell painting or, or some image of days gone by. And yet, there's a sadness that comes over me. Because what that used to reflect is no longer what we are. It's no longer an accurate reflection of what's going on in our nation. Now someone you could argue, and I just want to deal with this, it's not even the the point of the message, someone say, well, our nation has had big problems. Yeah, every nation has had problems. There's never been a nation without sin, without problems, and we've certainly had our issues, but there is no doubt That we are on a fast track of descent into chaos and confusion and eventually into irreparable decay and anarchy. And so that scene, while it's nostalgic, are you with me, it's nostalgic? It's not an accurate reflection anymore. It's not what we are. Look in John chapter 11. I understand that's kind of a heavy illustration, but I'm so excited about this. John chapter 11, this is where Lazarus was raised from the dead. Remember, he had, he had been sick, and, and it would help if I turned to John chapter 11, not Luke chapter 11. I'm sorry. I'm looking over there. I'm like, why is that saying that? Oh, that's right. John chapter 11, Lazarus had been sick and Jesus delayed coming and Lazarus died. And by the time Jesus arrived, they had buried him. And remember what Jesus said to Mary and to Martha in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asked the question, believest thou this? So they come to the tomb where Lazarus is. And Jesus says in verse 39, Take ye away the stone. Then Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. They didn't have the, the same burial procedures that we do today. And, and I, I'm not trying to be morbid, but if you've been to a funeral, if you've had occasions to be at those, they're obviously very difficult and very challenging times. But I just want to deal with this. There is a noticeable difference between a person before they've died and after they've died. And I understand there, there's work that people do, do to prepare a body for a burial, and, and then sometimes people make comments, oh, they look so natural, or, and I understand the motive behind that. Can I, just, can I just say to this, while I think people can do a good job preparing, that it doesn't look natural. It looks as though they've died because they're no longer alive. And I understand there's similarities, but there's a massive difference between a body that is alive and a body that is dead. And in this time, Martha recognizes the decay that would have taken place. And she says to Jesus, no, if you open that tomb, the the reek that is going to come out of that is going to permeate this entire area and people are going to run. Jesus, don't do it. He has been dead. And then in verse 40, Jesus reminds her, said, I not unto thee, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. And then he prays in verse 43, and when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice saying, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, loose him and and let him go. And I just want you to get this picture. What he was before Jesus raised him is different than what he was after Jesus raised him. So before he raised him, before he said, Lazarus, come forth, Martha is stressing within, saying, Lord, he's going to stink. The body has been decaying. But Jesus calls him out. And I don't know how it happened. I just know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that he has power over death. And so he speaks his life into that tomb. And Lazarus rises up and he comes walking out bound a hand and foot now this is just an interesting side note and we're going to go back to john chapter 20 in a few minutes but isn't it interesting that lazarus had to be loose but jesus got his off by himself now just again another little tidbit of jesus is just better and different and greater in every way and so jesus proclaims this life into that tomb and lazarus comes forth look over into chapter number 12 if you would please And in verse number 9, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because by by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So it's, again, the statement, Lazarus, before before his resurrection was one thing, then after his resurrection, he was a different thing. You're like obviously, no get it. You ready? His life reflected the resurrection. In the tomb, dead, bound up, stinky, decaying, nasty. Jesus speaks the resurrection life into that tomb. He comes out, now he's sitting and he's eating and he's having fellowship and people because of the aroma of his life are believing on Jesus themselves. He has this resurrection life that is being reflected in his life. He's reflecting the resurrection. Turn to John 20, how is this possible? Well, it's possible because this is who Jesus is. No, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In verse 5 through 7 that we read, they see the empty tomb. They, they see the discarded, the intentional place, the intentionally placed burial garments and rags. And then in verse number 27, Jesus speaking to Thomas, and this has a specific focus and context, but we mentioned this as a side note this morning that the scars, when Jesus said, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Jesus is saying to Thomas, listen, look at my scars. They're not evidence of my death. They're evidence that I conquered death. Now get it. Wounds don't heal after you die. I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical expert. No, you can cover them up, but they don't heal. Wounds, healing, and becoming scars are a sign of the divine work of God in bringing life and in giving life and in restoring life. And so Jesus is there, and he is is reflecting in himself the power of the resurrection. He is reflecting as he was able to give it to Lazarus, so he was able to demonstrate it in his own body. Please stay with me. He's reflecting the power of the resurrected life. Now turn to Romans 8. Romans chapter 7, I mentioned this in the parenting class this morning. Romans chapter 7 is all about that struggle. You know what struggle I'm talking about, right? Okay, the Apostle Paul, a man of God, agree or disagree? Man of God, knew God, walked with God, had genuine, amazing interaction with God, and yet he even struggled with the flesh And he said, that which I would do, I don't. Meaning the stuff I really want to do and that I know I should do, sometimes I struggle to do them. And that which I would not do, meaning the things that I shouldn't do. And in my heart, in in the part of me that knows God and wants to honor him, I know I shouldn't want to do those things and I don't want to do those things. And yet, I can end up, in a moment, I can end up doing them. You have this tension. You You have this struggle that is going on. But then, while it seems hopeless in the way that... You end chapter 7 when he says something like, oh, wretched man that I am, and then he transitions in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and so he's going to begin to talk about hope, and in chapter number 8, he begins to detail that hope. He says in verse number 8, this is a bummer, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Are you breathing? You're in the flesh. Well, what's the point? No, you can't please God because you're broken and marred by a sin nature that is at enmity with God. Well, then what is the point of church and what is the point of the Bible? And what is the point of all of this trying to follow Jesus to in the flesh I cannot please God? Notice verse number nine. That's why you got to read the Bible. But ye are not in the flesh. <laughs> but I am in the flesh. Yeah, but there's something else going on in you. But in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Hang on. How do you have the spirit of God? Well, I had not experience or I did something. No, 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 no. You get him when you're saved. Yeah, I, got I got the spirit of God when I'm saved. Now, a any man, have not the spirit of Christ. He is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of spin, sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Notice verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Hang on. The source of the resurrection power takes up residence in you when you get saved. This is happy. <laughs> okay, do you remember when you got saved? You know what you were when you got, before you got saved? Whether you were 5, whether you were 55, whether you're 32, whether you grew up in church, or whether you were raised in a God-hating home or in a sophisticated, arrogant lifestyle that Frowned upon anything having to do with God, no matter what you were saved out of, whether you lived a a pristine life that was admired by every societal um, stage or whether you were considered the basis sort. You know what you were before you got saved? What the Bible says you were dead in trespass and sin. You were like Lazarus in the tomb and you could do nothing to get yourself out. And you didn't come to church and you didn't pull yourself out. No, it's not the, I love Brother Feavi's testimony about his daddy. It's not the going to church that saved him. It's the lifting up of Jesus that, was, that he was drawn to. And it's Jesus that saved him. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, that life-giving redemption was breathed into the tomb, the, the, the hopeless tomb in which you resided, and God gave you new life came out and you got loosed it's good stuff no i have you may say well i didn't know that happened no if any man be in christ he's a new a new creature it's good stuff the same spirit by which Lazarus was raised, by which Jesus was raised, the moment Jonathan Pyle got saved, the moment he accepted Jesus Christ, the res, not, not the power, the source of the power took up residence in him. You, you didn't just get a part of the power, you got the source of the resurrection power the moment that you trusted in Jesus Christ. So, so good. I'm, I'm, look, I had like three or four lines on this. I don't even have a lot of lines on it, but I'm not moving off of this yet. But you gotta wake up to this. The resurrected God dwells in you when you get saved. Now you don't have to work for it, you don't have to change a bunch of stuff. You don't have to go through some kind of motion. You have to accept him for who he says he is and what he says about you. And when you believe in him, he saves you and he takes up residence in you and the resurrected God by the spirit of God lives in you. <laughs> it's amazing. You have resurrection power in you. That power Is supposed to reflect the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what Lazarus did? He was a reflection of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus did with the scars? He reflected his resurrection power. When you get saved, your life is to reflect the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Turn to Titus 2. There's other passages that we could go to, but Titus, the whole book has this tension in it. Are you ready for the tension? Can I give you the tension? Here's the tension. How you are saved, not by works, versus what salvation is supposed to produce, consistently good works. There's this tension. Sometimes people can read things like this and they go, no, see, you have to be saved by works. No, 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 no. You can't be saved by works. It is impossible that you be saved by works because the Bible's clear that all your righteousness are as filthy rags. There is nothing you can do to contribute to your salvation. You're saved by him alone or you're not saved at all. Jesus doesn't contribute like two-thirds or three-fourths or whatever measurement you want to give. Jesus contributes all of it, or he contributes none of it. You don't get saved by your effort. You get saved only by his effort. But his effort in saving you should produce fruit from your life. Now notice this. Let's talk about salvation for a minute. Verse 11 of chapter 2. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. What brings salvation? The grace of God. By the way, side note. Again, Calvinism is not in the Bible, for the grace of God that brings salvation, verse 11, hath appeared to all men. And I understand people would argue against that, but no, I'm just telling you, whosoever will may come. I'm going to say it over and over and over again. He wants everyone to be saved. Look at chapter 3, verse number 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Look at chapter, or chapter 3, verse number 7. That being justified. Oh, that's such a good Bible word. Brother Nate talked about salvation, talked about redemption. Can I talk about justification for just a moment? It means that it's not just that you're forgiven. It means that you are made just. It's as though you haven't sinned because he has paid for your sin and he has given you his righteousness in replace of it because you have believed in him. Justification is an amazing doctrine whereby we are placed into the life of Christ and his righteousness is placed upon us. And our standing before God is as though we are standing in Christ because we are in him. And I am justified. I'm not just forgiven. I am just before God. How are you justified? Therefore, being justified by, read it, by what? By what? By grace. Therefore, being justified by grace. I'm not justified because I wear a suit. I'm not justified because I come to a church. I'm not justified because I pray or read my Bible or do more good than I do bad or because I got baptized or because I have a title or because I have a leadership position. Dr. Sharp, I could never justify myself on my own. I can't contribute anything to it. I am justified by his grace, his unmerited, sufficient favor that removes my sin and makes me his child and gives me eternal life. That's the first part of the tension. That sounds really good. I like that part. But here's where we start bothering people. Titus isn't just about justification by grace. It's about works that should be produced out of that life. So can you prove that? Thank you for asking Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of, next two words. Well, well, what is good? Okay, it, it describes all sorts of things here. Don't be obstinate like that. No, 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 no. Don't be obstinate like that. We live in a reckless and godless culture that is acting as though there is no definable truth for anybody. No, but there are absolute truths. Not because I say so, not because a government says so, but because the eternal God has said so. And he, de- he defines what is good. And I believe this, we can sear our hearts, we can sear our consciences, we can harden ourselves, but I believe that God has even imprinted the conscience of mankind with an awareness of what is good. Now, you can talk to lost people, and they have some semblance of right or wrong, and you ask them, well, where did that come from? I'm like, well, I don't really have any idea. But we we have the ability, because we're made in the image of God, though we be broken, though we be dead in sin, to recognize there are things that would be good, and there are things that would be bad. God defines it. Child of God, don't buy into this lie in Christ, contemporary Christianity, where it's just whatever you want to do, and it's all about grace and his law. As, long as you're saved, nothing else really matters. No, you're not saved by works before or after, you're not kept saved by works after you get saved, but your salvation is intended to produce works. Verse 10 of chapter 2 not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Verse 14 Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of. What are the next two words? Verse 1 of chapter 3, let them, excuse me, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every... What's the next two words? Look at verse number 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God... Might be careful to maintain. Read the next two words. Good works. Look at verse number 14. And let ours also learn to maintain. Read the next two words, please. Good works. What is going on here? Well, look at chapter 3, verse number 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You know what that's describing? Life in a tomb, dead in sin, at enmity with God. I'll read the list again. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Oh, aren't you thankful for verse number four in your life, Brother Max? Man, aren't you thankful, Brother Vibe, for verse number four? But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. What is that? That's Jesus incarnate in a manger from a virgin of sinless life on a cross in a tomb, out of the tomb three days later. That's the salvation, redemptive, justifying plan of his kindness and goodness. And when that life came into you, he changed you. He emphasizes it again in verse number five, not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, but that life of the resurrection in you is meant to produce good works. So here's the question. Brother Robbie, can you go get the thing? Here's the question. What does your reflection say about his resurrection? Just come stand up here and hold it for a second. What does your reflection say about his resurrection? Don't leave Titus. We're going to read one more verse in a few minutes. I want to have some fun with this. Brother Vi, can you bring Sethe up here? Yeah, come on, Sethe. You heard me say your name. Get up here, homie. I'll give you some extra jelly beans. Come here, homie. Come here. Come here. Stay over there, brother. No, get up here, brother Vi. But you just stay over there. Get Don't, don't get up close. Hey. You like my son? What's up? It's hard right now, huh? I know you're taking good notes over there. Man, he looks just like me, doesn't he? <laughs> no. You know who he's a reflection of? The one out of whom his life comes. Now, I'm not going to bring Rothen up here too. Obviously, you look at the three of them together. You're like, yep, yep, there it is. It's beautiful too. It's a reflection of life. It didn't come from him. Didn't come from him, but it produced him. And he is a reflection of it. Bud, get up here. Go see daddy for a second. Sete, stay there. What do you call me? White dad. White dad. <laughs> we have an understanding. Are you good with this, G. Young? Yeah, of course. I already knew that. I'm just. Uh, you can see the resemblance, can't you? <laughs> no. He comes in, like literally every week, comes up and hugs me. Hey, white dad. Like, hey, Asian son. Sometimes I say something like this. Don't make me look bad. <laughs> Come here, you. Come here. Not you, Jordan. I'm not using you right now. Actually, actually, can you see it? <laughs> I was, I, I've been in the store and people and people don't even know me. They go, well, you can't deny them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, how did you know I was trying to? <laughs> 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 oh, and so to him, like, yeah, man, you don't have to be embarrassed about this. I mean, you got, you got enough of your mom to make you look handsome. Handsome and smart. Yes, you too. (laughs) From your mama, hallelujah. Say, are you getting it? They reflect specific life. Sete reflects life. Jason reflects life. Bud reflects life. Y'all can sit down. Thank you for the help. What does your reflection say about his resurrection? No, no, I'm going to talk about it. Are you ready to carry this around a little bit? Yes, thank you. I went in there just to see how heavy it was and decided just to let you carry it. (laughs) You're strong. What does his resurrection, or excuse me, your reflection say about his resurrection? resurrection. Let's just walk around for a minute. You good? Let's just put it here in front of the team boys for a minute. No, 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 no. Every one of you that claim to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ should be reflected in your life. Look, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of this, and I'm not afraid of that, that resurrection power should be reflected in what you think about and in what you choose to not think about. What you listen to, your honesty with your parents, your attitude when you're at home the resurrection power of Jesus Christ should be reflected. You should be reflecting the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in the way that you live your life. Now, I don't, I don't want you to worry about what I think because none of you are going to stand before Jonathan Pyle one day and give an account. You are going to stand before God one day and give an account. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, his resurrection life should be reflected in the way that you live your life. Come over here to the young ladies, and you're beautiful. And young ladies, I'm so thankful for you, and I see you spread out tonight, and you're all over the place tonight. But I want you to get this. Please get this. His life should be reflected in your attitude. And when you're at school, when you're talking to your friends, the things that you're texting about, what you're looking at on social media, what you're saying, what you're liking, that all of that should be reflecting the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and I wonder if we could just go through some teenage phones tonight I wonder if we could go through some teenage Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts and Twitter accounts and whatever other platform you want to use tonight if we would see resurrection or we'd see a tomb Like, oh, yeah, that's good. Okay, it's good. Let's talk about some adults for a minute. Come on, Brother Robbie. You're going to have to work, Brother Z. he like, I'm just resurrected. I'll just park right here in front of Brother Miss Carey. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ should be reflected in how you approach marriage. Oh no, marriage is a beautiful picture of Jesus' love. When Jesus looked across all of his creation and said, I'm going to pick a thing to reflect my love for people, he chose marriage. It is. It is such a sacred and precious institution before God. And your marriage, whether it's Max and Carrie, or Nate and Danielle, or the Razumovs, or anybody else, it should be a reflection of resurrection power. I'm just wondering, wives, can If it were possible to scroll through your interactions with your husband and your attitude and your embracing of the role that God gives you, do we see resurrection or do we see tomb? Men... Jesus sets a very high standard for a husband's approach to his wife. And it's not one of dominance. It's one of cherishing and protecting and providing both spiritually and emotionally and physically. And I wonder if we scroll through your interactions as a husband and your willingness to take hard stands and your willingness to deal with hard issues in a gentle and controlled way. I wonder if we scroll through. Do we see in your interactions resurrection life? Or a tomb. Let's walk over here for a minute. Let's just park it right here. No, no, look at it. Look at it. Not me. What's going on in your brains? Men, if it was good for me to talk to the teenagers about this, it's good for me to talk to you about this. What does does your use of social media say about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Look, pornography continues to be a scourge that is laying waste to people's lives. And I'm not saying, look, I can throw all kinds of stats at you out there, but I'm talking about laying waste to people's lives inside churches. And whether it's behind a pulpit or in a pew, there are people who are allowing the vice of sexual perversion to wreak havoc in their lives. And you're looking at them and you're not seeing resurrection power that's delivered you from these vices. You're seeing a tomb in which they continue to live in something that Jesus has given them power to overcome. And it's not just a man problem anymore. It's a female problem. What is your humility and your pride? How do you respond when things don't go your way? Something happens, well, I just didn't like that. Does your response reflect the resurrection, or does it reflect the tomb? What about when you're wrong? Well, I'm just not wrong that often. <laughs> Probably more than you think you are. If that's your attitude, when you do something wrong, parents, when you need to apologize to your children, do you actually humble yourself and make it right with them, or do you justify your poor parenting? Thank you, brother Patrick. It is good. Do you does your does your approach to when I'm wrong does it reflect resurrection or does it reflect a tomb? No, I'm, 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 I'm getting there. Does your response to a godless culture today reflect resurrection or a tomb? Say, what are you talking about? Look, it's all over the place. You understand what kind of church we are. We talked about this today. Anybody from anywhere can come anytime and hear the truth. Right, right, right. Just love people and happy to have people no matter who they are, where they are, where they're from, what's going on in their life. But we're not gonna apologize for what the Bible says about issues of gender and sexual identity and what is appropriate before God. And by the way, it's not about what I approve of. Well, what do you think? And then you start listening to pastors try to tiptoe around issues and apologize and try to, not, and try to keep people from feeling something. Listen, we can, we can deviate in all sorts of ways. And you understand we're all saved by the same grace of God. It's not about what I say. It's about what the word of God says. Jesus never gives us, never, ever, ever gives us permission to be unkind, to be ugly, to be nasty, to make fun of, to criticize to, to criticize in this demeaning way. But we're not going to be ashamed of the truth of the word of God either. I'm telling you, there's... There are wars that are going on in this culture right now. That's right. And does your attitude and response reflect resurrection? Or does it reflect redemption? Or excuse me, does it reflect the tomb? Look, man, man I, even after we get saved, we can struggle with things, can't we? Right. Man, don't. You struggle with all sorts of stuff after you get saved. But that struggle ought to reflect resurrection power. Not constantly living in a tomb. You say, well, I've had to ask for forgiveness more than once. Well, everyone who's ever had to ask for forgiveness for the same thing more than five times raise their hand. No, I'm serious about this. Look, okay, I got both hands up. Yeah. I mean, I, I, a lot, a lot. Like, what does that mean? That means it can be a struggle. But you better keep struggling to allow the resurrection power to be reflected in the way you live your life. We're almost done, Brother Robbie. Can you just stay there, please? I want to read you one more verse. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. They profess that they know God, but in works they, what's the word? Deny him. Being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work. Reprobate. Oh yeah, I know, I know who that's talking about. Okay, good. I'm glad in your religious conceit you know who that's talking about. Can I tell you what Proverbs says? These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him: a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that be, hands that shed innocent blood, feet that are swift and running to evil. Says a couple of more things, and and, and it talks about he that soweth discord among the brethren. Pride? And sowing discord. Yeah, I know who that's talking about. No, 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 I'm telling you, God wants to affect every part of our life. And we've set aside certain things that the Bible obviously is against. And we say, yep, yeah, those are the major things. No, every part of your life is supposed to be affected by the resurrection. So when you look at your reflection, is your life reflecting the resurrection or is it reflecting a tomb? I'm not, say, I'm not asking tonight. Or I'm not, I'm not claiming tonight. That you're not saved. I'm stating tonight that if you are saved, his resurrection should be seen in the way you live your life. Your reflection, your life should reflect his resurrection. So what do you see? Let me ask you another question. What do your kids see? What is this? What is what do your coworkers see? What does God see in the dark corners of your life? Is His resurrection seen in your reflection? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks, Robbie. I'm saved, Pastor. I know I'm saved. Great, praise the Lord salvation is not about doing or not doing something it's about believing in Jesus Christ but he has the authority to demand of us that his life produce a specific life so i'm just asking is his resurrection seen in your reflection every head bowed every eye closed i'm not going to go through a list i didn't i didn't even go through half of the list that i I wrote down tonight. I wonder if there would be anyone who would say his resurrection life is not reflected in every part of my life. There are areas in my life that I am not reflecting the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And I I need God's help. And I want God's help to change that. I'm not talking about losing your salvation i'm talking about is your salvation producing the life it was intended to produce every head bowed every eye closed nobody looking around the point of this is not to embarrass or shame anybody we're not going to do that nobody's coming to you i would ask with every head bowed and every eye closed if there would be anyone that would raise their hand and say his reflection or his resurrection is not seen in every reflection of my life and i need his help in a specific area tonight would you raise your hand and say Yep, that's me. Yep, I see him. I see him all over the place. God bless you for being honest. God bless you. Thank you. You can put him down. Look, can I encourage you with this, my friends? Whether you know me or not, can I encourage you with this? God is not embarrassed by you, God is not ashamed of you in the sense that, man, God's just not going to want anything to do with me. No, you need to understand how much God loves you. And he's not, he, he's, he, he wants. work in your life but you got to humble yourself and maybe tonight the first step is to come to an altar and to ask him for his help you say well I I just I'm not comfortable doing that well maybe it's something to get comfortable with if God continues to speak to you maybe you need to respond to him in some areas the young people maybe you need to go to your parents and respond God help us to reflect the power of your resurrection in the way we live our lives If somebody's not saved tonight, God, I pray that they'd get saved and accept Christ. God, help us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Brother Nate's going to begin to sing. If God has spoken to your heart, you respond to Jesus while while we sing.